following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. What a joy to see all of you tonight on this Wednesday night. Wasn't it a beautiful day? Didn't you enjoy the day? Uh, no, you didn't, did you? Did you enjoy the day? I love these kind of days. Uh, you, you just hang around, though. It'll be cold in a few days, and then it'll rain again, and uh, I would have a little snow. Who knows? We've had three. We've had three this winter. What a joy. We live in Austin, Texas, and it is a great place to live. I want to I wanna ask something tonight. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you don't feel like it, don't do it. But if you're here for the first, second, or third time, would you just quickly stand up right quick all over the building? First, second, or third time. This is your first, second, third time in the house. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've already figured out that Wednesday nights are pretty cool around here. They really are. We enjoy Wednesday nights. You know you never know when you're going to come on a Wednesday night and get pizza or get bluebell ice cream. You never know. It just happens because I'm inclined to that. In the, win- in the summertime, we'll have watermelon. We'll have some summer nights that'll just blow you away. Your family will say, I've never seen a church like that. We just love to see you leave here happy. I'll never forget the first time I ever did that in a church that I was pastoring. We decided to have a watermelon night. And so that night I was through preaching pretty early. And I said, folks, I'm shutting down now, but I've got something for you. I said, we have, we have all of our board directors and all of our Sunday school teachers are next door. And they have cut watermelon for you. And I want you to go enjoy it. I've never seen, we had, we had older people in their 70s ran out the door. <laughs> that, that's a fact. They ran out the door. And they got that watermelon and was eating that watermelon like it was going out of style. And one of them came up to me and two of them came up to me. They came up to me in mass and said, Pastor, if you have this every Wednesday, we'll never miss another Wednesday. <laughs> but it's just, it's just fun being in church. You know, church ought to be a fun place. And if you're not happy tonight... You, you need to get happy because church is a fun place. It's a good place to be. It's the greatest place I'd, I'd rather be when the Lord comes. Just be in the house of God. Just go home from church. Be a great place to do. Do it at. Amen. Now, Reed said he's got 10 tickets for sale. I've got 14. I bought them. I got 14 of them. And uh, if, you're just, if you're just pushed, you can't, you can't pay full price. I'm on discount mine. You know, you know me. I'm on discount mine. Now, those are not reeds. Those are the churches. But I, I've got mine. I've got 14 of them. And I'm on discount mine. And uh, if you've got a good story, you'll have to just get one given to you. But don't come lying to me, okay? Don't come lying to me. I love you now, but don't, don't go lying in the house of God. Well, you at least get outside to start that business, okay? But I do have some, and I've got them on me. Actually, I've got 10 on me tonight, and I've got, I've got four more that's been promised by a precious couple that's not going to be able to come, and they want to donate. Now, I've got you excited now, don't I? So, you'll listen to the Word tonight because you want to be the last to leave tonight, don't you? Amen. That's the way it works. Would you stand all over the building? I love you. We, we started a series last Wednesday night called, it, called Getting Back on the Wagon. <laughs> It's just one I kind of created. You know, when you fall off the wagon, things are not good. But when you get back on the wagon, things are good. 
And we're not going to be talking about drugs and alcohol and things like that that usually you fall off the wagon on. But we're going to talk about things and principles in life that we need to recommit ourselves to. It is a Easter season. We are three and a half weeks from Easter right now, 24 days from Easter right now, 25 days. And what a joyous time of the year it is. It's, it's the greatest celebration of the Christian's life, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, we'll be announcing it later, but in fact, uh, we are going, we're, going to, we're going to do something very unique. You know, we had 21 days of prayer and fasting the very first of the year, and it was, it was out, out of this world successful. And uh, so on, 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 on Holy Week, starting Monday morning, which will be the 26th day of March, that's Holy Week, Monday morning, we'll have Palm Sunday on the 25th, but on the 26th, we're going to have a 6 o'clock prayer here on that Monday morning. Tuesday morning, we're going to have 6 o'clock prayer. Wednesday morning, 6 o'clock prayer. Thursday morning, 6 o'clock prayer. Friday morning, 6 o'clock prayer. And pastor will be bringing a small thought, a concept of what happened perhaps on those days in the Holy Week on those mornings after we pray. We're going to have full band. We're going to be singing like we did back then. We're going to have a beautiful five days of prayer at 6 o'clock. You excited about that? I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. It felt so good doing it, we just might as well do it again. And I feel that it would be great to do it again going back into school in August. Just do it again in the middle of the year because prayer changes things. Amen. Last week we talked about faith moves. We talked about faith moves or faith movers last week. And we talked about things that we need to, we need to understand. Jesus said if you had faith as of the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be removed. Be removed from this place and go here. And it would. Then in the book of Luke, he said, if you had faith as of the grain of a mercy, you could say to that mulberry tree or that, 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 that tree right there, that sycamore, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. So, so it was two different kinds of concepts. One was moving the mountain out of your way. The other was taking something that has been bothering you and burying it and burying it. There's some things, folks, that you don't need to walk around anymore in life. You need to go ahead and just bury some things and say, not again, no more, no more, no more, no more. It's time to get back on the wagon with your faith. And tonight, we're going to talk about something that is close to my heart. I'm going to talk about banks of life, banks of life. I wrote a book several years ago on the subject of, 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 a, of a journey from grief to grace. And I, 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 call, I call people in my life the said banks of life because if you don't have banks in your life, you will be nothing but a swamp. You'll be nothing that can, that, that can, be, that can be handled and moved and, and, and guided down the, down the river of life. If our life is about water flowing, then we need said banks in our life. We need people on either side of us that can hold us in check, stop us when we're doing something wrong, doing something out of the ordinary that we shouldn't be doing. We need people in our lives. That's why church is so important. Church is so important because we have people here of like precious faith that have the same heart and love the same God. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to be a bank of life in your life, and you may be seated. God bless you. With a moving truck loaded out front, 
with furniture. A husband and a wife were sweeping out the open garage when a woman from across the house, across the street, approached with an apple pie. She said, welcome to the neighborhood. She said, I baked it myself and I want you to have it. And the husband who was sweeping out the garage said, really, we can't. Yes, of course you can, she said. When I moved in here two years ago, no one welcomed me and I want you to feel at home. So she thrust the pie into the husband's hand and he said, well, you see, and he stumbled with an embarrassed laugh, we've been here four years and we're moving away today. (laughs) And the woman stared at him dumbfounded, her mouth open. Well, she said, shrugging her shoulders, enjoy it anyway. During a service one Sunday, a pastor described a situation of unfriendliness in the congregation and said that the following Sunday they would have a brief pause to allow parishioners to turn to those seated behind them and greet them with a friendly hello. After the service that day, a man turned around to the woman behind him and he said, good morning. And she looked at him and with shocked indignation, she snapped, that doesn't start till next Sunday. She wasn't ready to be friendly on this Sunday. I saw a cartoon in a newspaper once and the first frame showed a thief that was wearing a mask and his gun was pointed toward a frightened victim. The next scene, the robber is holding out a sack and saying, give me all your valuables. In the next scene, the victim begins stuffing into the sack all of his friends. (laughs) There is nothing more valuable in life than a true friend. There's nothing like a true friend. You'll learn in life that you may think you can count many friends, but there aren't many friends that you can count on in life. I used to have an old pastor that said, son, it'd be a great thing to have enough friends to carry you out someday. If you can count on your hand, one hand, and use all the fingers of how many true friends you have, you're a very privileged and blessed person. Can we say amen to that? We have a lot of acquaintances. I can honestly say I don't know of anything more valuable and more blessed and more strengthening and more encouraging than a true friend. I want to talk to you tonight about this issue of friendship and how to make them and how to keep them. That's what it's all about. Let's talk about how to make friends tonight. Solomon said a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Although that may not be the best translation, it's certainly a true translation. The friendliest people do make the most friends in life. I love people that when they walk in the room, the light comes on. And I kind of have a problem with people that when they come in, they seem like they're blowing every light out. The friendliest people do make the most friends. I went out to find a friend but could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. I really believe that there are three choices everybody makes in this life that determines, number one, the quality of their life. Number two, the productivity of their life. And number three, the ultimate destiny of their life. The first choice, the quality of life, just leave them up, please. The first choice, the quality of life, is the God that you're going to worship. The second, the productivity of your life, is the person that you're going to marry. 
And the third, the ultimate destiny of your life is the friends that you're going to make in life. You cannot be too careful in any one of these three choices. You have to choose the right God. And there's a lot of gods in this world. But I will tell you, they're little G's. There's only one true living God. Amen. And the second choice is the person that you're going to marry. The person you're going to marry determines the productivity of your life. And the third choice is the friends that you're going to make the ultimate destiny of your life. Because the God you choose will determine happiness, eternal happiness. The spouse you choose will determine marital happiness. And the friends you choose will determine social happiness in your life. Proverbs chapter 12 said the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads astray. Ben Franklin was a wise man. He said, be slow in choosing a friend and even slower in changing a friend. I love friends. Anybody know that I love friends? I love people. I may not know your name in this house because you may have not been coming long enough or we hadn't got to meet enough for me to know your name. But I promise you, I know that face. And if I see you anywhere in town, I'm going to come up and hit you on the arm and say, how you doing, man? I know you from Christian Life Church, but most of you beat me to it and say, there's pastor. <laughs> there is nothing. There is nothing in all the world like being out on the street somewhere and have somebody walk up and say, pastor, what a joy to see you. You know why you say that? Because you know that I'm the friend of this church in this town. And I'll be there with you and you'll be there with us. And I've, I believe with all my heart that a church should be the greatest friendship place in all the city. Come on. The church ought to be the greatest friendship place in all the city. It's important to have friends. Dale Carnegie wrote it this way in How to Win Friends and Influence People. He said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people to be interested in you. I can tell you what kind of friends you have if you will tell me what kind of friend you are. A psychologist once asked a group of college kids to jot down the initials of people that they disliked in his class one day. <laughs> and some of the students taking the test could think of only one person, but there was one that thought of 14 people that he didn't like. I would say he because it was a him. But the interesting fact that came out this bit of research was this. Those who disliked the largest number of people were themselves the most widely disliked in the school and in the class. There are people in hospitals today because they chose the wrong friends. There are teenagers in jail today because they chose the wrong friends. I've been privileged with Mike Barber and with Brother Tom and and our, our, our own ministry team, our own prison ministry team to go to prisons. And I've ministered to prisons. And it's amazing how when you talk to prisoners, one of the reasons most of them will give you that they're in jail is because they started running with the wrong crowd. Oh, I want to talk to you tonight. Come on, I want to talk to you tonight. When you run with the wrong crowd, you start listening to the wrong people. And when you listen to the wrong people, you start following the wrong advice. And when you start following the wrong advice, you'll emulate the wrong example. It's time to start running with the right crowd and listen to the right people. Amen. And listen to the right people, you'll follow the right advice. And when you follow the right advice, you'll emulate the right example. 
Come on, it's time to do a turnaround. Get back on the wagon and let your friendships be friendships based by God's person and not by people's thought process. You must have friends that are godly people. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is the story of Amnon. He was a son of David, King David. And he raped his own sister and was eventually murdered by his own brother. That's quite a family, wasn't it? How could it happen? 2 Samuel chapter 13 records the story, but verse 3 is a revealing truth. It says simply this, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. This friend named Jonadab, whose heart was stone cold, whose mind was as sharp as a razor, told Amnon how he could lure his sister to the bedroom and how he could rape her. And Amnon, following the device of a so-called friend, he raped his own sister, committed incest in the house of a king, and brought shame to the entire family, and then was murdered by his brother. All of this happened because he chose the wrong friend. Let me talk to you now. George Washington said, associate with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for it's better to be alone than to be in bad company. I am not patting myself on the back, but I made a choice my freshman year in college that turned my life in the proper direction. For I was running with what we call the cool crowd in college. And one night we were out after a basketball game. We were out together and And all of a sudden, somebody brought out something that didn't need to be in that car with minors. And they they said, we're going to get Rex drunk tonight. Rex is a virgin to drinking. We're going to get him drunk tonight. And I, I said, would you mind stopping the car? They stopped the car. And on the side of the road, I stepped out of the car. And I said, I dare any of you to get out of the car. I'd have whipped every one of them that night. I said, I dare any of you to get out of the car and make me do what you said you're going to make me do. And when they, one of them started to get out of the car, we was about to square off. So help me God. Now, I know I don't need to talk about fighting in church because <laughs> I'm not a fighter. But I was, going to deter, I was determined to defend what I was going to be in the kingdom of God. Sometimes you've got to look hell right in the eye and say, not today and not tomorrow. And not the next day. I'm going to be here living for God. And you know what? Those, that old boy got out of the car and put his arm around me. He said, I'm sorry. We're so sorry. We want to do this to you. Get back in the car. I said, no, I'm not getting in the car. I'm going to walk. We didn't have cell phones then. I just started walking down the highway. It's better to be by myself than to be in that and thinking you're going to be drunk after a while and maybe have a wreck and die. And I wouldn't get to pastor in Austin, Texas. I'm declaring to you, it's time to decide who your friends are going to be. Not only do you know how to, need to know how to make friends, you need to know how to measure your friends. Point number two. The Bible said there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I want to tell you, there's not enough gold in Fort Knox, not enough oil in Saudi Arabia to buy that type of friendship. One that sticks closer than a brother. When I think about a real friend, a true friend, a friend that really deserves to be a friend, I realize from this scripture what kind of relationship it should be. I'm going to give it to you now. A true friendship will be a loyal relationship. 
True friendship is loyal. The word stick there refers to how skin sticks to the bone. And this is a picture how a real, a real friend will stick closer to you through thick and thin than, a, than, than, than skin will stick to your own bone. One thing you'll never have to question about a friend, a true friend, is his loyalty. Never. A true friend will always be your defense attorney before he'll ever be your judge. You see, one of the marks of a friend is Though he may point out your faults from time to time, he will overlook them and never let them come between the two of you. He's just your friend. Henry Ward Beecher said it this way, you ought to keep a big cemetery in your backyard where you can bury all the faults of your friends. Because friends need somebody that will show them mercy and grace. Somebody has said that the reason why a dog has so many friends is because he wags his tail instead of his tongue. If a person is truly a friend, you'll never have to worry about what they say behind your back because it'll always be good. Clap your hands for that. That's good stuff. <laughs> Diana Craig put it well when she said these words, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out just as they are chaff and grain together certain that a faithful friend will take them and sift them keeping what's worth keeping and with a breath of kindness blow the rest away not only is a real relationship loyal but a real friendship is also a lasting relationship it lasts I've got, I've got friends that's been my friends since I was just a pup and I had hair and Bluebell hadn't been invented. And we talk all the time. We speak all the time. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they are now. What matters is that they are friends of mine. They are my friends. It's a lasting relationship. A true friendship will stand the test of time and trials and troubles. There's no such thing, folks, as a fair weather friend. As a matter of fact, you know what I've learned? You don't need a lot of friends in fair weather. You need friends in foul weather. A fair weather friend is truly no friend at all. A false friend is just like your shadow. As long as the sun's shining, they'll stick to you. But as the minute you step into the shade, they disappear. I was thinking about what a real friend really is, and I came across several that are worth noting. And I wrote them down for you. A friend is someone who multiplies your joy and divides your grief. A friend is a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. Irma Bombeck said, a friend is somebody that won't go on a diet when you're fat. <laughs> but my favorite is a friend is someone who will walk into your house when the whole world has just walked out. When I lost my brother, Reed's dad, 1992, I'd just been here two years. And I was sitting in my office after we'd come back from the funeral of my brother. My brother's life did not end well. But I loved my brother. I truly loved Eddie. Eddie was my buddy. And after he finally got over the fact that I was going to do this thing called preaching, he started taking up for me. He wasn't real happy about it when I first started, but he started taking up for me after a while. 
And the, the year before he died, he, he told me he was proud of me. And he loved me. And I was sitting in the office after I got back and we're still in the A-frame building. We had a little office over here and I was sitting in my office and just, just ruminating about life. When a knock came on the door and my friend, one of my dear true friends came in the house, in the church and came and sat on my desk, faced me and I was sitting in my chair and he said, I was just in the area, really. You live 180 miles away. You're just in the area. And, of course, you know how, how, how friends do. I said, oh, you just had to come down and taste our coffee. You're tired of your coffee up there? He drinks McDonald coffee. He said, yeah, I had to come find some Mickey D coffee down here in Austin. And for 45 minutes, he just sat there and just ministered to me, patted me on the back, hugged me up, prayed for me, and went home. That's a friend. That's a friend. Charles Colson tells the story of how soon after being released from prison, he was a guest speaker at George Washington University. And he was speaking to a very hostile crowd there in Washington. Questions were being thrown at him, rapid fire, because he was a part of the Watergate thing. And the crowd was becoming increasingly angry. And one student stood up and referred to a vicious criticism that Henry Kissinger had leveled at Richard Nixon, who had been impeached from president. Then he asked Chuck Colson this question, do you agree with Kissinger's criticism? And Chuck Colson said as he scanned the room, he could tell that every ear and every eye was on him and watching to see what he would say. And he took a deep breath and set his jaw and looked straight into the crowd and said, we all know Mr. Nixon's negative qualities. He's been dissected in the press like nobody in history. I could tell you his good points, but I don't believe I could persuade you to accept any of them. But what it comes down to is this. No. I don't go along with Henry Kissinger's comments. Mr. Nixon is my friend, and I will never turn my back on my friend. And he said, I thought the roof was going to cave in, and it did, but not like I expected, he said. All of a sudden, they were standing on their feet and gave him a 15-minute standing ovation because they recognized that even in Mr. Nixon's faults and Mr. Nixon's problems, somebody had to stand up in his life and say, he was my friend. It's amazing, folks, how that we turn on people because they make mistakes sometimes when we ought to turn to them and say, I'm here for you because the love of God is in my life and in my heart. Come on, let's get back on the wagon of real friendship. If you want to find out who your friends really are, I can tell you how easy to do it. Just make a mistake. In prosperity, our friends know us. But in adversity, we know our friends. Finally, not only is a loving relationship loyal and, I mean, a friendship loyal and lasting, it is loving. It's loving. You see, a real friend is not only someone who likes you, it's someone who loves you. Now, let's talk. Proverbs 17 said, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A real friend is someone who wants to be a friend to you, not because of what you can do for them, but for what they can do for you. There are some people who are your friends as long as it's convenient. I heard about a little boy who walked into the dentist office one day and with his friend. He said, hey, doc, I got a tooth here that's got to come out right now. 
And I don't want any gas. I don't want any Novocaine. I don't want any shots to deaden the pain. My friend and I have got a lot of things to do today. And I just want to get down to business and get this tooth out right now. And the doctor said, son, I've never seen a young man with courage like you. Which tooth is it? And the boy turned to his friend and said, Tommy, come show him the tooth he needs to pull. A real relationship. Friends will always want what's best for you, not what's best for themselves. So I close tonight. Not only we need to learn how to make friends and measure friends, we need to learn how to minister to friends. Let's talk about ministry. I want to share with you some practical steps on being not just a friend, but how to be the best of friends. First of all, a real friend is willing to tell you the truth. But that don't mean he's going to tell you the truth and make it nasty and, and ugly and berating. A real friend will look at you and say, hey, I need to talk to you. Proverbs 29 says, ointment perfume delight the heart and the sweetness of man's friend of a man's friend does by so, so by hearty counsel. The sweetness of a man's friend does so by hearty counsel. You see, a real friend will tell you the truth no matter what you ask him. He may not always tell you what you want to hear, but he'll always tell you what you need to hear. And he will tell you not to hurt you, but he'll tell you to help you. Because a real friend never wants to hurt you. Never wants to hurt you. That's always in marriage also. Your wife and husband ought to be the best friend you have in your life. And words should never be in that family to hurt one another. I promise you, I stand before God, I have never said words to hurt my wife. She's never said words to hurt me. Oh, she's helped me a plenty. When I go to the doctor and he examines me, when I go to the doctor and he examines me, if there's something wrong with me, I want to know it. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell me, if you're my friend, tell me the truth. Not to hurt me, but to help me. And that's the way it's got to be in our life. We have got to love friends. Not just like friends, but love friends. Furthermore, not only do real friends tell the truth, real friends are willing to confront you when you're wrong. Oh, this gets tough right here. A genuine friend will never criticize you behind your back, but if necessary, he'll confront you to your face. And it won't be over a phone. It'll be, it won't be with Facebook. It won't be with text. You'll go to dinner with them and they'll look at you because it's always good to look at somebody that's going to talk to you. Come on, clap your hands at that. And, and if you're the one with the correction, you ought to buy the meal. So if anybody's got anything to say to me, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Take me out. <laughs> Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It also says in Proverbs 27, An iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I will never, I will forever be convinced that Richard Nixon lost his presidency because he didn't have one true friend around him. He didn't have one person who early on could have said, Mr. President, this is wrong. Change this. 
And I was young enough to appreciate the fact that Mr. Nixon, I thought, was a good man. I, I thought he had good daughters and a good wife. But he made a mistake, and he didn't have enough, he had no friends around him. You need friends in your life. Let's get back on the wagon of this thing called friendship. So a true friend is willing to tell you the truth. They're willing to confront you when you're wrong, and they're willing to comfort you when you're hurting. And I will close with this. Isn't it amazing how many people are willing to be around you when you're laughing? But few people are around when you're crying. The Indian word for friend translated in English means one who carries my sorrow on his back. I can tell you another way you'll find out who your friends are. You'll find out who your real friends are after one month after a funeral's over. It's easy to be a friend that not easy to be. It's easy to be a friend at time of death, but after it's over, it's not easy to be a friend. Let me finish. Let me finish. This kind of teaching is not easy for me. But when I wrote my book on my situation, there was a man that I still admire today, and I never, we never talk on the phone. Maybe once every three months we'll talk. He's a much older man now. I'm a little older myself. But when I, when, I, when, I went through my, when I went through the pain of losing my wife and boy, every day, every day of the week, he called me for 90 days, three months, every day. Sometimes it was for five minutes. Sometimes it was for 30. Sometimes it was for 15, 20 seconds. Sometimes it was even an hour. He always could tell how much I needed his counsel and guidance and friendship by the amount of time he spent with me. And he always left me feeling better about myself. I had another man that came to Dallas one day, and he said, I'm up here looking for a bus, a new bus. We're, we're starting getting some more kids on our bus ministry, and I'm up here to look for a bus. And he came by my house. He said, I want to take you. I want you to go look for a bus with me. And we went to eat and sat at the dinner table for three hours. We never went bus shopping that day. <laughs> and when he left... I said, hey, man, did you find that bus before you found me today? Did you find that bus? He said, ah, oh, no. He said, I didn't want you to think I was coming to see you. That bus, I can buy one in Beaumont, Texas, Houston, Texas. I didn't need to come to Dallas, but I needed to come to Dallas to see Rex Johnson. When everybody's walking out, people that are walking in are folks you can count on. That's why I believe that there's nothing greater than the church of the living God to be your best friend. Clap your hands to that. Amen. Randy, help me. Finally, a real friend is someone who's willing to bring light to the dark. The greatest friend you could ever have is one that would talk to you about Jesus Christ. Someone who loves Jesus and wants you to love him too. Think about this. If heaven's for real and hell is real, then no person can possibly be your friend who does not care whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. You must love people to a point that you can talk about Jesus to them. Friendship is an awesome thing. John said it this way, greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his I love being your friend. 
The Bible literally calls me the friend of the bridegroom in the word. I am a friend of the bridegroom. I get to live and talk to the bride. But I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And it's the friend of the bridegroom that will say, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. Somehow in my, in my life, and I think I will be around when, it, when the big whistle blows, when the trumpet sounds. I think one day I'll be able to say, He's coming, folks. He's coming. Go ye out to meet Him. The greatest friend you can ever have in your life is somebody that elevates you by the love of Jesus Christ and gets you ready for a place called heaven because that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about.